0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our passage in Ephesians this morning, we've got Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. I'm Father Spencer. I am co rector here at the table with Fathers Ben and Matt. Welcome to the third Sunday of our Lenten series on racism and repentance. In week one, Father Ben preached about sin as injustice, as violence, not just cosmic rule breaking. We learned that sin isn't some abstract internal matter, sin is embodied. It has real-world consequences. There's something physically and real concretely between us when we sin. Last week, Father Matt preached about sin not just existing in individuals. Sin is bigger than any one of us. In fact, one of the ways that powers and principalities are at work in our world is in systems and in structures. This week in reflection and preparation for the sermon, it occurred to me that as we've continued to learn about what sin is and how it works, we have a lot of us have been formed into viewing sin through a telescope. We have this zoomed-in view of it where it's completely personalized. It's all internal. It's all about us. It's private. It's personal. So related to racism, one might be tempted to think— as long as I'm kind to people of color, as long as I don't do anything directly or explicitly racist, then I'm in the clear. As we've been learning over the last couple of weeks that sin is bigger than just a personal issue. It's more than just a tally against you on the sin column. A common reaction to that is to just flip the telescope around, which it has an advantage of. It zooms out. It allows you to see the complete picture of sin. However, This, too, is an inaccurate view of what sin is. It appears much further away than it really is. It kind of makes it public in a way. This has a side effect of obscuring sin to the point that it might feel like it absolves us as individuals or as a church body here this morning. Related to racism, one might say, Racism isn't new. It's been happening in all kinds of societies for all sorts of time. Racism is a human problem. It's a sin problem. And racism is, of course, a sin problem. But zooming out is not the solution. In fact, here at the table, as we go through this series on racism and repentance, we believe that God is inviting us to lay this telescope aside altogether so that we can begin to see sin as it really is. Sin has both public and personal aspects to it, but it is always particular. As we continue to establish what sin is, we can also get a clearer view of what the gospel is. The gospel isn't just our bus pass to heaven, but it's Jesus gathering his church under his wings. He's empowering us to face our sins, and he is faithful to guide us into a new way of being and living. The gospel is that as we submit to the lordship of Christ, Jesus's kingdom reorders our material reality around us, the way that we go out from church on Sundays, out into our lunch spots, out into our families, out into our workplaces, out into the minutia of everyday life. Building on these concentric circles over the past couple of weeks has led us to today's sermon, which is all about the gospel being reconciliation. God is reconciling us as individuals and as his body. He's reconciling all humankind to himself and all humankind to one another. God is reconciling all of creation to himself. This is not just happening in a far off spiritual realm, it's not just hypothetical. This reconciliation is playing out in time and space. God has been about this reconciling work throughout history. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Today, we proclaim the good news that you who were far off and foreigners to the promise of God have been invited in. Jesus is smashing the walls of division in our midst, whiteness, patriarchy. He is making two into one. Where there was enmity, there is now unity. And now, as guests invited to the banquet of the kingdom, let us join God in his reconciling work in the world. Here's just a disclaimer. If you haven't been able to make it to all of the weeks of our series or if you weren't able to attend the whiteness workshop ahead of our series starting, when I talk about whiteness, when I name whiteness today, I'm not talking about white skin color. I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about the socio-political construct of whiteness. Of course, there are many, many nuanced and complicated layers to this. But suffice it to say for today that at a certain point in time, White bodies became the standard that all other human bodies were measured against. This is the culture, this is the worldview that we have been steeped in. It's a culture of white body supremacy. This is the water that we have swam in. This is the air that we've breathed our whole lives. And because of this, you might find yourself reacting to some of the sermon today. Your body may tense up. You may even become irate. That's okay. Okay. Just notice it. We can talk about it after the service. We can talk about it later this week, but for now, it's enough just to notice it. In our Old Testament passage today, in Genesis 1, the text says, Let us make humankind in our image. God created humankind in his image, male and female. Here we have a picture of shalom. This is how creation was intended to function, in unity, not in enmity. Our differentness dividing us is part of the fall. It's not part of the way that creation was meant to be. We find here a picture of how God intended it. It takes all humankind to image God, not one kind of human. We serve a God that is three in one. This means that God didn't create human beings because he was lonely. He wasn't alone. He created because his character is mutuality and his nature is outward flowing. Books and books and books have been written about this. Papers have been written about it. I could expound for hours on what it means to serve a Trinitarian God, a God that is three in one, and I still wouldn't do it justice. But suffice it to say that us being created in the image of God has a lot to do with this character. We were created for a character of mutuality. We are created for a nature of outward flowing, of self giving, pouring out of oneself. This is what it means to be the image of God. There's more to be said about all of this, but God's three in one, God's three in oneness brings a depth of meaning to our imaging of God that often gets lost. We were meant for mutuality, for unity, and for togetherness. It takes all of us to image God, so any divisions between us are demonic. The gospel is God restoring the cosmos to the way that it was intended to be. In our gospel passage this morning, we have Jesus praying. Jesus, God in the flesh, entered into creation at a particular time, at a particular place. He came to a particular people. He starts off by saying that he's asking not only on behalf of these, he's speaking about the people that are directly in the vicinity, those that have been with him, the disciples, those who are following him. He says, not only for these But also on behalf of those who will believe through their word, that they all may be one. He goes on to pray I give them the same glory that you gave to me, so that they can be one as we are one. I and them, and you and them, you and me, excuse me, I and them, and you and me, so the world will know that you have loved them like you love me. If we generalize Jesus out of this particular time and particular place, we lose something. We lose a God who meets us where we really are. We cannot just lift Jesus out of his context and make him our own. He's not our own personal Jesus. No, the good news of the gospel is better than that. Jesus entered time and space. He was really born into history. Lifting Jesus out of his context to personalize him for consumption actually undercuts the beauty and the power of the incarnation. Again, friends, God is reconciling creation to himself through the particular. In our passage in Ephesians this morning, we see, again, we're reminded that God came to a particular people. God's people were a particular people. The the very first verse in the passage says, remember that you Gentiles used to be aliens, strangers, godless. Now, if the end result is that we're all unified— Why do Gentiles have to remember that they were outsiders? This remembrance is not to shame Gentiles or to set up some kind of hierarchy within the kingdom of God, a ranking, so to speak, of the people of God. This remembrance is meant to track the concrete, concrete, particular work of reconciliation that God is doing in their midst. It says, Now in Jesus, those who were far away, Gentiles, have been invited in. The text goes on to say, Jesus is our peace. He is shattering the walls of partition that divide us. By the cross, we are reconciled to become one, Jew and Gentile. He destroyed enmity on the cross. He came announcing good news to those far away as well as those who were near, because through him, we both have access to God through the Holy Spirit. You who were strangers, aliens, aliens, outsiders are now fellow citizens with the holy ones and members of God's household. The text concludes by saying Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are the foundation and God is building all of humanity into his temple, into his dwelling place. Notice even there at the conclusion, the specificity Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles, the prophets, the people that we are reading about in scripture these historical figures, they are the foundation. This specificity doesn't take away from the good news of the gospel. It only enriches it. Friends, you who were far off and foreigners to the promise of God have been invited in. Jesus is smashing the walls of division in our midst. He's smashing whiteness. He is making two into one. Where there was enmity, there is now unity. And now as guests invited to the banquet of the kingdom, let us join God in his reconciling work in the world. Here at the table, part of why we have moved into this series on racism and repentance is because we hope to be a church that moves beyond whiteness so that we can bear witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To do so, we have to first get real about our place in God's story of reconciliation. Somewhere along the way, we colonized the Jewish identity as being God's chosen people. That means we saw something that we liked and we took it as our own. This is called supersessionism. And in many, many ways, this goes hand in hand with whiteness. It's vital that we remember that we are Gentiles, we were not God's chosen people, we were outsiders. We were strangers to the polity of promise, foreigners to the kingdom of God. God is working in the particular. He chose a particular people. And then Jesus came to a particular people, in a particular place, at a particular time. If we colonize the story of Israel and take up their mantle as God's chosen people for ourselves, then we lose something. We lose a God who has chosen to reconcile all of creation to himself through a family. First, through a family and then spreading out through all humanity and throughout creation from there. We also lose the specificity of God's redeeming work throughout history and now in our midst. God has been at work through history. This isn't just some ethereal idea out in space. He has concretely been at work in history and today in our midst. He is working for the reconciliation of all creation to Himself. One of the ways that God is shattering the partition of whiteness in our midst is by reminding us of our role in this story. It's vital that we remember that we are Gentiles. We are not the lead role in this performance. No, this is God's story. And His chosen people were Israel. And we were then later invited in. God is inviting us to reckon with and repent of the way that we have come to read Scripture as being all about us. He's inviting us to reckon with and repent of the way that we put ourselves at the center of the story of others when truly we have been invited in as a guest. We enter the story of God as outsiders first. We are guests at the Lord's table. It is not our table. The church, reconciliation, the mission, They're not our work. They're God's work. This posture of being a guest is foundational to who we are as the body of Christ. This isn't our space, our land, our theology, our story to defend. And viewing it this way fundamentally changes how we see and inhabit the world around us. In our Beyond Whiteness workshop before our sermon series started, Michael Gonzalez uh, use the phrase guesting. When we recover our identity in God's story, we can see ourselves as guesting others in our churches and our communities. This means that we're not the hosts, we're not in charge, we don't have to micromanage or manufacture, we don't have to control. We are free to discern the work of God that's ongoing in our midst, and we are free to discern together how to join in that work. We don't own it, but we're thankful we get to be a part of it. Recovering our identity as guests is vital for us being formed out of a colonial posture shaped by whiteness and into community posture shaped by witness. God is shattering whiteness so that he can restore creation and humanity to its intended existence. Two are becoming, one, unity over enmity. It takes all humankind to image God. Men, women, black, brown, white. There are personal and public aspects to this reconciliation, but it is always particular. Jesus is saving our souls, but he's also saving our bodies and creation the ground that we stand on. God's work of reconciliation is particular and concrete. It happens inside time and inside space. God has been at this work in history, throughout all of history, and this history matters. It's specific. And He is at work in our midst today. He is inviting us here at the table to join Him in the particular work of reconciliation going on here in our church, in the community directly surrounding us, in the city of Indianapolis, in Indiana, in the United States. Here are some of the ways that we can say yes to this good news. We continue on this path of repentance, which is a long game as a church and as individuals. We don't just realize in one second that we were wrong. We continue to learn about the ways that we've been complicit in this, the ways that we continue to get it wrong. And we continue to be led by the Holy Spirit together to discern a way forward as a people. Part of that discerning is learning some concrete steps of how we can engage in our community, how how we can join others in fighting for justice in the here and now. I grew up in a church that would often throw its hands up and say, we're trying not to be political here, which to tell the truth in hindsight, wasn't really true. But also, it kind of lacks an understanding of how God is at work in history. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the only way we can engage a mission is by voting or getting others to vote. But in this country, political activism is one of the ways that we can fight for justice. As I've continued to be learning in preparation for this series and watching documentaries and reading books, one thing that I keep butting up against is that I've had a lot of reticence over the years of when and where and how to engage politically, and as I've continued to learn more and more about the witness of the black church, I see that there's not that hesitancy. In fact, a lot of times in the tradition of the black church, it seems like common sense. When they see injustice, they call it as such, and then they activate towards making justice flow like a river not in hoping that in some future cosmos or in the afterlife justice will flow like a river, but working in the here and now, in the practical, in the particular, in the concrete to see justice flow like a river. God's work of reconciliation is particular and concrete, and he's inviting us to say yes to that today. We can continue to enter into spaces where we are not the host, where we are the guests. We can practice listening and learning, continue to work to engage in this posture of a guest. It's a colonial move to try to manage or manufacture reconciliation, especially as it relates to race. There's no quick solution. As you get more and more in touch with the ways that you've been complicit in this, and you start to have eyes to see it all around you, you might find the urge within yourself to Go up to a person of color and recruit them to be your buddy. I just want to say, even that can be a colonial move. God is working for our reconciliation right now. You don't have to manufacture or manipulate or control it. You are free to lay that down. You don't have to colonize this reconciliation. The Holy Spirit is at work right now in our midst. Friends, you who were far off, and foreigners to the promise of God have been invited in. Jesus is smashing the walls of division in our midst, whiteness, patriarchy, gentrification. He's making two into one. Where there was enmity, there is now unity. And now as guests invited to the banquet of the kingdom, let us join God in his reconciling work in the world. May we recover our identity as guests who have been invited into the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.